Yeah. Hey, will you join me? Let's thank our band one more time for leading us like they do every week. All right, let's see. New Year's resolutions. A Katy Perry song called Roar. The Old Testament prophet Daniel and your life. What is up with that? Now, before I answer the question, you need to know that today is a great, great day in the life of Lake Hills Church. For those of you who don't know, we are actually one church in two locations. And so I want to ask you if you will join me. Let's give it up for Lake Hills Church downtown at Brazos Hall. That's a cool, cool thing God's doing down there that was birthed out of this campus, and we're excited about that. Now, for the last couple of years, our pastor of finance and operations, Mike Vallotton, and his wife, Jana, have been leading that congregation, serving them, and have done just an incredible, incredible job, really on the side, in addition to their other responsibilities to our church as a whole. And they've done a phenomenal job, but today... We welcome a new member to our staff family, to our church family, as God has brought to us a campus pastor for Lake Hills Church downtown, all the way from Chicago, Illinois. I want to ask you to give it up for Pastor E.C. Cunningham joining the family today. We're excited about that, E.C. I know that I know that EC is excited to be here because this morning in Chicago it was 23 degrees. So he's excited about being in Austin, but we are so excited. EC comes to us after years and years of ministry experience at a large urban church there in Chicago. He's also got experience in the marketplace working for Apple Computer, and we're just excited to see what God's going to do through his leadership and his heart through Lake Hills Church downtown. We're excited about that and where God's taking us as a church family. It's a great, great day. Now... What in the world are we doing singing Katy Perry in church? I mean, roar. We're talking about grit. We're we're talking about courage and and, and perseverance and New Year's resolutions. I wonder this morning, you know, how many of you actually made resolutions at the New Year? Let me just see a show of hands. If you made, you know what's funny about this? People, when you ask if you make resolutions, they go like this. It's a resolution. You have resolved to do something. Let me see a show of hands. If you made a resolution, put your hand up high. Okay, that's what I thought. People are like, well, I did, but it's probably not going to last. So, and I understand that. We've all done that. We all understand the challenge associated with keeping resolutions over the long haul. But that's what we're about. I think this morning it's imperative for us to understand that the Christian Faith is nothing if not tough. That that Jesus Christ calls us, he empowers us to be people of grit, people who are tough. And and for some people, that may be kind of counterintuitive. You you might come to church maybe for the first time in a long time, or you came because you came at Christmas, and you're like, man, I'll try it again in January and just see what happens. And that's awesome. But I think a lot of times people approach church expecting, you know, holding hands and kumbaya and strawberry fields forever and we just kind of enjoy and it's just sweet and and to be sweet is fine as far as it goes I would encourage you to be sweet rather than a jerk but the reality is the Christian life calls us to be people 
who are tough. So I want to ask you right now with New Year's passion and enthusiasm, tell the person sitting next to you, get you some grit. Because you're going to need it. If you're gonna, how many of y'all, how many of you are married? Let me see a show of hands if you're married. Everybody with your hands up, you need you some grit. Some of you married some grit, but I mean, you need some grit. How many of you have been married more than 15 years? Let me just see a show of hands. If you're married more than 15 years, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, the fact of the matter is, when you chose to get married, you chose to fight. Now, I'm not saying that you chose to fight in your marriage, per se, but I am saying that you chose to fight for your marriage. You chose as a groom to say, I will fight for this woman. You said as a bride, I will fight for this man. For rich or poor, sickness and health, for better or worse, you will fight in this life. You will walk through the fire like Katy Perry sings about. You will, in Christ, the Bible says, be more than a champion. You will conquer all that comes against you because not of who you are, but because of who Christ is. You know, how many of you have ever heard it said, God will not give you more than you can handle? Let me see this. If you've ever heard that or said that, just, keep, just raise your hand. I'm telling you, it's everywhere. And, and I understand where it comes from. And, and I understand the heart behind it. I think the heart behind it is a good thing. It's just not true. That other than that, it's a great concept. God will never give you more than you can handle. No, no, no. The Bible never says that. As a matter of fact, The Bible promises us that we will absolutely encounter more than we can handle on our own. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have many troubles. You will have problems. The Bible says that God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear in him. And when we encounter trouble, when we encounter challenges, or when we encounter wounds and scars the temptation a lot of times is to quit that's where the temptation is that is what Jesus will provide a way out through is the temptation to quit and the way that Jesus provides the way out is through grit through being people of grit being people who are tough and for us over the next few weeks as a church We're going to get at this by going to the life of Daniel. Now, Daniel is a fascinating character in the Bible. He's an Old Testament prophet, and you may not have ever read the book of Daniel or even opened a Bible, but you probably heard about Daniel in the lion's den. If you went to vacation Bible school and, you know, made God's eyes with yarn and popsicle sticks and had graham crackers and Kool-Aid, you may have even heard about Daniel's close friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the fiery furnace and so these these stories are are really iconic but there's a reason they're iconic because God saw fit to make sure that Daniel's story was recorded for us biblically God saw to it that the story of Daniel was recorded so that we might understand how to live in relationship with him. Now, Daniel's story occurred about 650 years before Jesus was born. Daniel's story, as a matter of fact, was one that you would never in a million years have picked to be an icon or an example of grit. Daniel was 
carried away as a slave into Babylonian captivity under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, as you might imagine, he had issues. His parents named him Nebuchadnezzar, for one. But he had issues of power. And at the time, he was the most powerful person on the planet. And it was in this context that Daniel, along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were called out from their positions as slaves to go to the king's palace to be raised up in the Babylonian empire, in the Babylonian nobility, to learn the ways of the palace, to learn how to live as Babylonians, even though they were born Israelites. They were born Jewish. And it was against this backdrop that God cultivated in Daniel a deep, deep, abiding, just grit, just just a courage under fire that served him throughout his entire life. You know, if I were to kind of whittle down the story of Daniel and and really even the essence of grit, I, I think it would come down to this one sentence. Pick your battles wisely and fight to win. Pick your battles, but fight to win. Just a minute ago, I asked if you were married. How many of you who are married are husbands? Let me see a show of hands. Guys, trust me, pick your battles wisely. Look, the men aren't laughing right now. They're like, I don't know what he's talking about, honey. You're perfect. How many of you are parents? Let me see a show of hands. Parents, do we need to pick our battles wisely? Oh, my goodness. Let me tell you something. When you start picking your battles wisely, it might mean that your five-year-old daughter will go to Target wearing sequins. Some of you know what I'm talking about. That was the laugh of recognition. Some of you are going, what? What I mean by that is this. Make sure that you are picking the right battles to fight. Make sure that you're picking the battles that really matter. Our daughter Emily, who is now a freshman in college, when she was very, very young, she had a very distinct taste in clothes. We never had classes. We never sat down and said, this is good, this is bad, make sure that it matches. She just had this in her. And so sometimes when Julie would load up the car with Emily and her younger brother Joseph to go to Target, Emily had in her mind what she wanted to wear. And sometimes what she wanted to wear was a sequined unitard with a pink tutu around her waist. And Julie decided very early on when we realized that Emily was a strong personality, that that was not a battle worth fighting. And so a lot of times Julie walked into Target with Emily in her sequined unitard. Now, Julie would try to walk a little bit ahead of her so that they were distanced from each other and there was some confusion as to who this child's parents were. But she was not going to fight that battle. When you decide to pick your battles, you have to begin to understand that not every battle is worth fighting. But there are some battles that are absolutely worth fighting. And that's where we pick up the story of Daniel. As Daniel is called into the service of King Nebuchadnezzar, he is brought in with the other Jewish nobility youth. And four of the, three of the friends who come in with Daniel, as I alluded to, are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, they had different names as Jews than they had as Babylonians. But this is what happens in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to open it to Daniel 1 or break it out on your phone if you have that. This is what the Bible says. Daniel 
was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and the wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel, but he responded, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, then I'm afraid that the king will have me beheaded. I think verse 8 of chapter 1 may be the single most important verse in the entire book of Daniel. In the entire story of Daniel where it says, but, tell your neighbor right now, but. But Daniel decided not to defile himself. Daniel decided not to partake of the king's table. Now keep in mind, he was called out of the obscurity of the other slaves to this position of of influence. He, He was treated to the king's table. But Daniel decided not to defile himself. That word defile is very, very important. It means to taint or to, to stain in some way. I think that's really the essence of all the sin problems that we ever encounter, that we ever face, that, that what we end up doing is really kind of defiling the character of God that we were created to bear. The Bible says that you and I were created in the image of God. In the image of God, he created the male and female. So you're here, I'm here. The first job that we're here for is to represent God accurately in this world. And and when we choose not to do that, when when as little kids we we first learn how to lie or, or we first, you know, express that inherent selfishness that is just a part of who we are as human beings, we are actually defiling ourselves. We're we're misrepresenting the God who created us in his image. But Daniel decided not to do that. Daniel decided not to do that, and he chose to go about it in a really, really shrewd way. I think it's interesting that the Bible says Daniel asked the captain of the guard if they could eat a different diet. He asked, he understood authority. He understood that even though the captain of the guard was not God's chosen, even though Nebuchadnezzar was not by any stretch a God-fearing dictator, he was still under that authority. And so he asked if they could partake of a different diet. And I think there's a real, real lesson there. Look at what it says that God had given Daniel favor with the captain of the guard. So so Daniel was not a troublemaker. Daniel did not approach the captain of the guard and say, I have madeeth a commitmenteth. I musteth noteth partake of the king's foodeth. Taketh away it thoueth. He just he he was a normal human being. He was a normal person and he just asked, would it be okay if we did something a little bit different? I think as Christians, we need to remember not to weird people out so much. You know, I think it's important. Tell your neighbor right now, don't be weird. Some of you may need to reiterate that later on this week. But Daniel was, was functioning 
in the system where he found himself. And he asked, could we do this? I want to encourage you to not only pick your battles and fight to win, pray for wisdom as you pick those battles. Pray for wisdom. Ask God. The book of James tells us if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who richly gives every good and perfect gift. If, if you lack wisdom, it's because you haven't asked for it enough. Ask God for wisdom. If you just raised your hand a few minutes ago as a parent, <laughs> I know we need us some wisdom. Somebody help me preach. I mean, as a husband, in my job, as a pastor, my calling, I need wisdom. I need wisdom to know when to say yes, when to say no. I need wisdom to help. I need wisdom to lead. I need wisdom to decide which battles to fight. Daniel had decided this was a battle he was going to fight, not to defile himself. I'll give you another example. How many of y'all are in school right now? You're maybe in high school, middle school. You're a college student. Okay, it is accepted in classrooms around the country that cheating is just a part of what you do. Okay, and, and I understand that, that it's rampant. I understand that that's a part of the deal. I'm not endorsing it. I'm just saying that's kind of how it is. When you choose to cheat academically, or let me put it this way, if you were to cheat academically, you would be defiling yourself. You would be misrepresenting who God is. To do the right thing when nobody else around you is requires grit. It requires a conscious decision to determine I will be the woman. I will be the man God created me to be and I will not defile myself by cutting corners, by taking a shortcut. As an aside, this, this next little portion has nothing to do with the sermon, but it's important. I encourage everybody, go, if you're 15 years or older, okay, you need to go see the movie Lone Survivor. If you're 15 years or older, you need to go see this movie. And I know some of you are like, I don't know. Trust me, it's important. Now, it's rated R. It's a war movie. It's violent. The language, it's soldiers at war. So don't send me an email. Don't get mad at me. I'm just, it just is. But it's important. It's important that we understand to the best of our abilities what it is that people do on our behalf with grit. What happens when people choose to commit for us. It's an important, important thing to see. You need to go see it. If you're 15 or 16, make sure your parents give you permission. 17, make sure they give you permission, but it's, you know, rated R, you can do whatever. But it's an important movie. You need to see this film. Now, returning to our regularly scheduled programming. Daniel decided not to defile himself. But he also did something really, really important. He expected the unexpected. You know, when you make a decision or maybe a New Year's resolution, you just need to know it's not going to go the way you think it's going to go. A few minutes ago when I asked you if you were married <laughs> for more than 15 years, it has not gone the way you thought it was going to go. It may be better. 
It may be richer and more fulfilling, but it has not gone. Nobody, the day that they get married, nobody has a fat clue what they're doing. It's okay to laugh at that. That's true. But you make a commitment. And part of a commitment is you expect the unexpected. There, there's, there will be things that happen. So when Daniel goes to the captain of the guard and he says, is it okay if we do something different? The captain of the guard says, no, it's not okay. Because if you don't perform, if you don't look as good as the other youths that have been selected for the king's service, I could lose my head. Daniel does something very, very important and very shrewd. Verses 11 through 13. Daniel then spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff. So the chief of staff said no. But the chief of staff's not there day in and day out. So Daniel goes to the attendant appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who who are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Daniel says, please, again, see the respect? See see the normal, the, the way he's addressing people? Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. So Daniel says, look, I'm not going to argue with you, but I'm asking you if you can just give us a trial run. Watch what happens. And then check this out. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and the wine provided for the others. You know what's interesting to me about people of grit? They perform. They do a good job. They're the ones who get to work on time or a little bit early and are there at the end of the day and maybe a little bit beyond. They're the ones that the boss knows they can rely on, they can depend on. I think as parents, we need to let our kids experience some grit I think as parents, we need to help equip our children to be people of grit. How many of you are parents? Show of hands if you're a parent. Okay, keep your hands up because we're about to take a vow. I do solemnly promise that I will never do my child's homework ever again. Amen. You know why? Here's what I told Emily and Joseph. Here's the deal. I've done eighth grade. I passed, Jack. Good luck. Mom, my paper's due tomorrow. It's 9.30. We're out of printer paper. I hate that for you. I can get it for you tomorrow and have it ready when you get home. But no, I'm not going to the grocery store at 9.30 at night. (laughs) Mom. I forgot to get you to sign something. Can you come to the school right now? No, I can't. I'm so sorry. Why can't you? What are you doing? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Mom, I thought you loved me. (laughs) I thought you loved me. They will pull every card in the deck. But we've got to let them learn their lessons. Listen, you go to the science fair, 
You can tell what parents didn't sleep the night before. That's unbelievable. It's a working rocket that gets into outer space. How did this child in third grade know how to do that? Here's the great irony. When we do that, and we've all done it. I'm not throwing any stones, believe me. When we do that, we do our kids a massive disservice. What? I love my child. You don't tell. No, no, no. Chill out. We do them a massive disservice. Think about your own life. What was the most important period of your life? What was it that shaped you the most as a human being? Now, it's going to be different for every single one of us. But I know this. It was a tough period. It was a period of life where you discovered some grit down inside of you that you didn't know was there. And so if we remove every obstacle, every challenge, every playing time frustration from our kids' lives, they never discover their grit. Nassim Taleb is a world-renowned mathematician, statistician, and an author. And he's written a fascinating book based on his research into living organisms. And the name of the book is Anti-Fragile. Now, Taleb is not, to my knowledge, a Christian per se. I don't know. He's certainly not a Christian theologian. But in the book Anti-Fragile, he makes a really, really compelling argument for grit. Listen to what Taleb says. He says, if anti-fragility is the property of all of those natural and complex systems that have survived, the environment, human beings, people, animals, then depriving these systems of volatility, randomness, and stressors will harm them. They will weaken or die or blow up. Just as spending a month in bed preferably with an unabridged version of War and Peace and access to The Sopranos' entire 86 episodes. Just as this leads to muscle atrophy, complex systems are weakened and even killed when deprived of stressors. This is the tragedy of our modern world. As with neurotically overprotective parents, those trying to help are often hurting us the most. Parents, let your children, help your children discover grit. Help your children discover the blessings of work, the blessings of perseverance, of toughness. Because guess what? If they don't learn it in our home, they're certainly going to learn it outside our home. They will encounter stressors, as this world-renowned statistician refers to them. This is why we must be people of grit. Now, there are times when we're fragile. There are times when we are hurt, when we're crushed, when we're broken. That's not what this is referring to. But we have been created in the image of God. And it is in Christ that we have the opportunity to be more than conquerors. The eye of the tiger. 
I am a champion. That's not just a cute little pop song. That's biblical theology. In Christ, we are more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. And we see this need for grit. We see this expression of grit in the life of Daniel. The story continues. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, this was a three-year window. Three years. I know a lot of times we're like, oh, man, I, just, I don't know. I, I, you know, I set that resolution at the beginning of the year, but man, I don't really need to lose 25 whole pounds. Maybe it was just five. Three years. Three years they're in this training program. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. And whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and the enchanters in his entire kingdom. People of grit stand out. People of grit perform well. People of grit do not check the clock and cut corners. People of grit stand out. They stand out. You know why? It's rare. Grit is a rare substance. It's because our entire nature is geared towards self-preservation and comfort. Grit is not comfortable. How, how many of you work out? Let, let's say that you work out at least once a year. Okay, look, the hand's going up everywhere. The buses will wait. That, that day that you work out, let's say, let's say that you work out and you really hit the legs hard. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you, you know, you're doing, you're squatting, and you, you know, you're like even grunting and stuff. And so, you, you wake up the next morning like, whoa, boy, I feel that. Whew. But how many of you know it ain't the day after? It's the second day that you see stars when you get out of bed. And it's like, you, you know, the alarm clock goes off and the rooster crows and you throw your legs out of bed and you go, ha, oh, yeah. What you're feeling is grit. Like, you, you know, you, you walk to the bathroom to brush your teeth. Father, just one more step. You start to go down the stairs and your legs kind of buckle. You have stressed that muscle. You have taxed it beyond where it was before. And in the healing process, the miracle the genius engineering of our bodies, that muscle comes back stronger than it was before. And you have to buy all new clothes. Because all of a sudden, you are yoked. It's not that funny. But you get that way through stress. 
You get that way through work, and you're better for it. This is how the world operates. This is how the world which God set in motion works. This is how our lives work best. You see, grit means don't quit. Grit just means you don't quit. You stay after it. It's amazing to me how God can connect something that was written down 650 years before Christ to something that was written down about 55 or 60 years after Christ was born. Six, seven hundred years apart. This is what God says through the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 6. He says, so, let's not, I like that, let's not, okay? Let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Daniel's a phenomenal example. But Daniel pales in comparison to the ultimate example of grit in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is grit personified. Because we know that Jesus died on the cross. That's not even open for discussion. Anybody with half a brain can check the Bible, and extra-biblical resources to see that Jesus of Nazareth actually was executed on a Roman cross. That, that happened. Now, the Bible tells us that he didn't want to. Did you know that? The fact of the matter is Jesus did not, we would, we would say he didn't feel like it. We know this because of the prayer that's recorded from the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. If there's any way for this cup to pass from me. If there's any way around this cross that is before me, let's explore those options. I love that God chose to include that prayer. I love that that's who Jesus is. That you see his heart. He didn't want to do it. He knew it was going to hurt. He knew that ultimately it would mean separation from God the Father because he knew that on the cross he was going to take on my sin. He was going to take on your sin. You know, I think of the greatest pains that we can know in this world. They're physical pains. You may have broken bones, had surgeries, or given birth, kidney stones, whatever. But I think most of us who have lived any amount of time at all would be able to say, you know, the worst pain there is is relational pain. When, we're, when we feel alone, when we feel isolated. And my personal belief is that that was what Jesus feared the most in the cross. Was the fact that he would be 
alienated from God the Father. That's why he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was because in that moment, Jesus became sin. And as a result, he paid the consequence of sin. He died. But it doesn't end there. That's not where the story concludes. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Because Jesus got up out of a borrowed grave to offer new life to anyone who would take it. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available and accessible to you and to me every single day. And because Jesus got out of the grave, the story doesn't have an ending. It is eternal. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would never die but will have eternal life. As we begin a new year together, as we dive into the subject of grit, I want us to make sure that everybody understands real grit begins and ends with Jesus Christ. You'll never meet anybody tougher. You'll never meet anybody kinder. And if you're here today and you've never stepped into a relationship with Jesus, then we get to tell you that's what this is all about. Grit is just a nice byproduct of a relationship with Christ. I want to ask you if you will bow your heads for a moment. And in this moment, we want to just extend to you the opportunity to give your life to Jesus, to enter into a relationship that is day in and day out, that's real. If you're here today and you've never done that definitively or you're not sure really where that has been, we want to ask you to invite you just to nail that down, to pray right where you're sitting. Just silently talk to God in your own words and say something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. And I understand now that you want me. And so I commit my life to you right now. Everything. I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again for me. Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I claim your forgiveness to live in relationship with you from now on. 
and I pray in your name. I want to ask you to just remain with your heads bowed for a moment more because this is holy ground that we're on right now. But if that was your prayer and you meant it to the best of your ability for the first time, I want to ask you with heads bowed, eyes closed right now, if you would just raise your hand up high over your head and hold it there for a moment. As you hold your hands up, we want to help you mark this moment because it's the most important moment in your life. And so we want to just pass something down the road to you, just a gift to help. As a church, that's what we get to do. Anytime someone responds to the amazing grace of Jesus, then we want to come alongside and help you take the next steps in this relationship. When you get that gift that's coming down the road to you, if you will, just open it up. You'll notice inside there, on the top, there's a card and a pen. And I want to ask you, if you will, just right now, just begin filling that card out so that we can begin the process of helping, of serving you, of figuring out what's next in this relationship. When you've completed that card as you're exiting today, I want to invite you just to make sure you find somebody in a blue Lake Hills Church shirt and just hand that card to them. Let them shake your hand. If you've got any questions, that's what we're here for. It's a great day. You know, the Bible says that when one person steps into a relationship with Christ, one person, all of heaven celebrates. Isn't that an amazing thing to consider, just to kind of conjure up in your mind? All of heaven is celebrating right now because of you. And so as a church, we kind of think that's a good example to follow. <laughs> We like to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.